Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Our scripture lesson is found in the Gospel of John this morning in chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his name. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. In the first week of our series, The Power of Place, Pastor Jennifer took us to the upper room on the evening of Easter day. Jesus appears to the disciples who have locked themselves away in fear and says, peace be with you. He shows them his hands and his feet and their joy is restored. That is all except for Thomas who was somewhere else at the time and demanded that he wasn't going to believe any of this unless he saw for himself. And wouldn't you know, a week later, Jesus shows up for Thomas, giving us assurance that even in our doubts and fears, Jesus will show up for us. Last week, we met Jesus on the road to Emmaus with two beleaguered disciples. They are so broken in spirit as they walk that seven mile journey that they cannot assimilate what has happened. Jesus joins them and, and discovers that it's, it's they lost their sight in some way and he opens the scripture to them. 
He reminds them that they were God's people in the past and along this journey, and they'll be God's people in the future. But their sight must become internalized hope. For the world will shake them. But their hope in God will accompany them. And after Jesus reveals himself in the breaking of bread they and vanishes, they say, oh, didn't our hearts burn as he opened the scriptures to us? Today's lesson is about the power of entrances or more specifically, the power of a gate. This, my friends, is no ordinary gate. And just so we're clear, Webster's definition doesn't quite get it. He describes a gate as a movable barrier, probably on hinges, closing an opening in a fence or a wall or some form of enclosure. It's an opening that permits protection or defense, like the gates of a walled city or a palace gate. Now, while that's an operative definition and understanding in our day, it isn't at all the understanding of the gate John is speaking about. You see, there's no gate in a sheepfold. It is an entrance. It's a wide open space. And the shepherd, the gatekeeper, lays down at the entrance so that he knows who has gone in and in the morning who will go out for food and nourishment. Jesus knows they haven't quite gotten the explanation, so he, he opens up and says, I'm the gate. And he serves that role for the purpose of loving his sheep, knowing them by name, providing for their safety at night from thieves and bandits, and providing their food and nourishment during the day. And because he is the gate, whoever enters is saved. Anyone who enters finds their protection and their provision. A little later in John's 10th chapter, he says, I lay down my life for my sheep. Simply put, this powerful gate is the best explanation I know of for what Jesus means, my friends, for salvation. Salvation. This is the gate all about saving sheep. And not necessarily, I think, about the calculation as we're so prone to do of sins. Now you ask, well, how can you say that? Well, because John's discourse on salvation begins at chapter 9 with the healing of the blind man. 
the context for the sheep conversation is based on the healing of the blind man. And if we miss that, then we miss the meaning of Jesus as the gate. So let's look at it. Clearly, the blind man is in need of being saved. He's a sheep that because of his circumstances is neither safe nor provided for. Jesus sees him as one robbed of value and accused of sin. It's either of his doing, remember, or it must have been his parents. And to make matters worse, those who should have cared for him didn't. They passed judgment instead rather than lending aid. Let's don't rush too quickly past the realization that Jesus sees the blind man as a sheep that needs saving. And it's not saved from sin. In fact, Jesus declares neither he sinned nor his parents. In fact, this gate conversation has surprisingly little talk of sin in the passage. Jesus doesn't say, I came because there are a bunch of sinners in need of forgiving. Rather, he says, I came that my sheep might have life and have it abundantly. The emphasis is not so much on the sin, who did what and who didn't, but on the restoration needed and the desire Jesus has to make that happen. Jesus isn't so much in salvation trying to save us from something as much as he is about saving us for something, for life and for the abundant one he wants us to have as God's children. There's a, a small mission church in South Africa in the city of Johannesburg. On the side of this mission, there's a tiny door that is changing lives. On it, on this little door into an opening, a gate or a bin, is written the words, Door of Hope. And that's exactly what it is for various babies throughout that city. On average, there are 40 to 50 babies abandoned on the streets in Johannesburg to die of exposure or starvation every month. They're born from prostitution, or into families of abuse, or into a family that cannot care for them, and what must they do but surrender these children, abandon them to a place that might help. So this mission installed a little door 
on the side of the church where a child can be placed and a little buzzer goes off announcing their entrance and these little babies are then taken and nurtured and loved. It doesn't matter, my friends, who sinned. The mission, the salvation is for the saving of these children and the placing of them into loving homes every year throughout the world. Which then might beg the question, okay, if salvation is for saving, then what is this blind man being saved from? What does the gate, what does Jesus need and mean for him? What does salvation mean in our blind man's context? You'll remember that the blind man was born blind. And so this saving prevents his isolation and marginalization from going any further. He's healed from living in the darkness. Never again will he wonder where his next meal will come from or who will answer his pleas as he sits begging at the city wall. He will know the safety and security now of community. You see, salvation in John is linked to the promise of pasture and protection. In and out the sheep pen means that the man born blind will now know a new and saving security and safety. David Loss puts it this way. Nowhere else does Jesus express the intent of his mission and ministry more clearly than in the verse of this passage, which says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. For the disciples overhearing Jesus' words, the saving which is for the blind man then is also heard as being available for every disciple who believes. The gate then becomes for the flock. Our blind man opens the sheepfold for us. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that in all of our lives and actions that uh, there are marks of sin and that forgiveness is needed. But the emphasis here stops at the, if it does stop at the erasure of our sin and our failure, then we run the risk that the power that lies inside the gate will be missed. Jesus has a wide-eyed recognition of those he loves. And he says he knows each of us by name. He loves us and protects us and wants the world for us. And that, my friends, is what transforms the world. 
this gate, this Jesus, his love opens life for those who have been broken by sin and life itself. Tim Winton, you may recognize as a prolific and well-known author from Australia. He's also well-known for his faith as a Christian, and he was interviewed on the ABC show, uh, Enough Rope. In it, he shares the story of being a five-year-old when his father, who was a police officer, was hit by a drunk driver while at work on his motorcycle. It was a terrible accident and he spent months in a coma. And he remembers the day that when he was finally allowed to come home, they brought his father in and set him in a chair. And he said, you know, I kind of knew it was my dad, but this wasn't the dad that I knew. He was different, he was changed. And the change in his five-year-old spirit was horrifying. The care of his father, of course, fell to his mother. Uh, and as a five-year-old, he wasn't a great deal of help. And so word got around throughout the community. And there was a day when someone knocked on the front door and said, Good day, I'm Lynn. Lynn Thomas was from the local church. He had heard of their need and he said, is there anything I can do to help? Lynn would come every day, lift his father from uh, the chair or his bed, place him in the bath, bathe him. Now understand in the mid 60s, in Australia or anywhere else, someone doing something like this for absolutely no reason and no benefit was really hard to imagine, let alone to expect. And yet, Winton remembers that this man, Lynn Thomas, would open a gate in his mind that he would bother showing up to wash a sick man really impacted him. He said this, this sacrificial, strange act, this saving act, as he described it, was the doorway into the Christian faith and life for the entire Winton family. Don't we still need the gate to show us what salvation looks like, what abundance looks like, what Christ looks like? This in turn, my friends, invites us to imagine that the abundant life Jesus offers Perhaps the salvation Jesus offers is given to each of us and is highly contextualized. Well, what do I mean by that? I mean, for the blind man, it was sight. 
For the single parent, it would mean companionship and help. For the bullied teen, it would be acceptance or a willing, compassionate ally. For the impoverished neighborhood, it might be the restoration of dignity and the chance of employment and self-determination and opportunity. For the retiree, it might be involvement in something new and worthwhile and meaningful. Well, you get the picture. Abundant life looks different in different places for different people, but it always manifests itself as a response to whatever seeks to rob the children of God from their inheritance of life and purpose and joy. Jesus shows up to the blind man, to us, to those who are serving to open that gate wide so that we see we can be a sheep in a life of abundance. It's saving, is it not? And saving in sometimes even from ourselves. I absolutely adore Anne Lamont's um, wacky writing. In one of her books, she talks about a time in which she has an enemy, what she calls an enemy light. It's a mother in her son Sam's first grade class, and she says, I don't think she knows we're enemies. But there's something in her eyes that looks mean. Well, accordingly, this enemy light has Anne comparing herself. She says she's not one of the moms who who cooks for the holidays, or who drives carpools for the field trips, or reads all of the papers that come home at the end of the day. They all know that Wednesdays mean that class is out a half an hour earlier than usual, but Anne makes it all the way to October before the principal says, Anne, did you know that school gets out early on Wednesday? And there her child is sitting all sullen, coloring with the teacher. Well, wouldn't you know the enemy found out? And she says two days later to Anne, if you have any questions about the classroom and how it works, I'd be happy to be there for you. Anne says that the thought she had would have made Jesus drink gin straight from a cat bowl. Anne despises her 80-pound figure dressed in spandex, and she prays about it. She wrote a note and put it in her God box that says, Help! She was making progress. You see, she's a sheep that's in and she's out and she's in and she's out. And she says, I was making progress until the end of school when her enemy said, 
Did you bring anything for the party? That would have been enough for the year. But wouldn't you know, in the fall, Sam and her son enter the same second grade class. And the enemy brings Sam the first grade readers her son had. You see, Anne hadn't been pushing her son Sam to read very much, but her child is proficient. And Anne went home and got out her God box and wrote, Look, hon, we need bigger guns. Nothing really happened, really. Anne says that there were things that kept running through her heart and her mind, talking about forgiveness. And Anne wasn't, she wasn't sure. Little things like, love your enemies and turn the other cheek and how doing these things could make you look at the world differently. Do you hear me saying this is a Christian woman struggling to be a sheep? One Sunday she read Luke 6 where it, where it says, forgive and you shall be forgiven. No loopholes there. It doesn't say forgive everyone unless they happen to be rude to you this morning. And it doesn't say just try. It says if you want to be forgiven, if you, if you want to experience God's kind of love growing in you, you have to forgive everyone in your life and for God's sakes, maybe even forgive yourself. It was then that it happened. It all came together when she bent down the next morning at school to put her son's shoes by the enemy's son. And she caught herself checking his shoe size against her son's. And she finally got it. The veil dropped. She says this, I got that I'm as mad as a hatter. I saw that I was the one worried that my child wasn't doing well enough in school, that I was the one who thought I was out of shape, and that I was trying to get her to carry all of this for me because it caused too much hurt to carry it myself. Anne Lamont, believer, sinner, gifted, still broken, kept going in and out of the Jesus gate, full of sin and steeped in grace, and she finally got it. She got what this gate was for. It was to provide her a life of abundance. How would it be, my friends, if we live like sheep who know that we need our shepherd and that because we have our shepherd, we have 
everything we need. That salvation is more than forgiveness, but about abundance in life itself. Abundant life contextually defined by the release from whatever is robbing us of God's intentions for our lives. This passage is a profound invitation for us not simply to listen to Jesus' promise of salvation and abundant life, but to actually live into it. There is no gate on Jesus' love, no entrance that bars you or any other from the welcome, protection, and life that Jesus offers. At the heart of the gospel is this resurrection promise that not only are we saved from something, but we're also saved for something, for life in all its abundance here and now. We are blessed to be sheep. We are blessed that Jesus is the gate. Live your life now in a transformed way, knowing that the grace of Christ is enough. Amen.